special shout out to everyone at all of our campuses and online. Love you guys. And if you're a guest, man, we are so glad you're with us today. We're going to dive into God's Word, and I think it's going to surprise us all at how relevant and timely and important it all will be for us. Glad everyone's here for that. We all know the name Albert Einstein, right? That brilliant scientist who is known for his theory of relativity and also his Luke Erickson-like hair I read recently that Einstein asked a very poignant question. It was this, is the universe a friendly place? Is the universe a friendly place? Now, Einstein knew what any honest person knows, that science really can't even begin to answer a question like that. But still, when I heard the question, it got me to thinking about a lot of things. Like, for example, what does the world seem like these days? Does the universe seem like a friendly place? Like when you look at what's happening in the news, the way things are going, do you think the world is a friendly place? Would you say we're growing in kindness? Are, are, treat, are people treating each other better and better all the time? Are kids growing up in families where there's love and support and strength and stability and faithfulness in great measure? Our families experiencing deep peace and joy and love and kindness between each other. Is that, is that what we experience on social media? Is that this beautiful community of supportive friends encouraging each other, lifting each other up and, you know, demonstrating understanding and support and mercy and graciousness and kindness? Is that what fills the news? Is that what fills the hallways of our schools? Is that what fills our work? Places? Is that what fills our own emails, our own texts, our own dinner tables? Is kindness what fills us? What are you full of, anyway? Because we're all full of something, right? And, and why does it matter? I, I, that's what we want to talk about today. Maybe we can take Einstein's question and kind of ask it this way. Like, if the world took on your characteristics and... and everyone and everything kind of mimicked your behavior and your actions toward others, would the world be a friendly place? So we're in this series. Um, it's been great. Uh, it's really been responded to very well. Everyone's excited about this series because we're kind of doing two deep dives at once. We're diving into the depths of our own hearts and our own character. We're also diving into the Bible and asking questions like, where are you going? Like, where, what direction are you really headed in? And, and who are you becoming? Um, like certain qualities are forming inside of all of us all the time, right? Some are growing, some are shrinking. Who are you becoming and what are you full of, right? And the principle at work here is that Jesus says you can tell a tree by its, what? Its fruit. Fruit, if you said fruit, you're right on. A tree says, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, but you go up and you pull off a pear, what kind of tree is it? 
<laughs> it's a pear tree because the fruit is the proof or the evidence of what kind of tree it is. And Jesus says, oh, you can tell people the same way. You can identify them by the actions that are evident. So, so what's growing out of your life? You know, what, what, what fruit is, is evident is a really important question because it tells the whole story of where we're going and who we're becoming and what we're full of. And here's where Jesus uh, gives us some help. He, he says, you're not going to have a beautiful fruit coming out of your life if you try to do this on your own. If you try to fake it or act a certain way, you're just going to be a slave to your own natural desires, your own sinful nature. He calls it the flesh. Um, let me help you, Jesus says. And Paul says in, in this book we're looking at, Galatians 5, he says uh, it's like a, a car being out of alignment. At least that's my analogy. I had my wheels aligned on my car the other day because if you let go of the wheel, it just was so out of alignment it wanted to pull into the ditch. And Paul says, that's how our lives are, exactly like that. Like if you let go of the wheel and you just live however you want, you let the car go wherever according to your own selfish desires and nature, you are not going to end up in a good place. There's a bunch of really ugly bad fruit that comes out of that. But Jesus says, I can help you. I will be with you. I will give you my spirit to guide you, to comfort you, to, to speak to you, to help, to help you change from the inside out, and start bearing a very different kind of fruit in your life. We call it the fruit of the Spirit of God. And in Galatians 5, 22, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And then he lists them. There are nine different things listed here. Let's read them together. Can, let's read this out loud. Help anchor it in our minds, okay, you guys? Let's, let's read it together at home or all of our campuses together. Ready? We'll start with the word love. Ready? Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says there's no law against these things. So let's, um, let's do as we have other weeks. We're going to talk quickly about a learning from this teaching, and then we'll look at the list. And this week it brings us to kindness. And then we'll talk really practically about how to live it out. So the learning, the list, and then how to live it, all right? When, first of all, the learning. When Paul shows us um, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, one thing that I think is important for us to remember is this. This list is not a prescription. It's a description. Okay, you know the difference between prescription and description. You know, prescription is like when you go to the doctor, you get sick or whatever, and she writes a script for an antibiotic, so you go to the drugstore, you fill that prescription. She gives you an order, and you respond accordingly. You go do what she said, you fill it. That's not what this verse is saying. Hey, if you want to be a Christian, here's the prescription. Go try real hard to be more loving, get more peace and patience and kindness in your life, and then you'll be a Christian. That's it's not what it's saying. Go do good stuff. No, that would be a prescription. What Paul is teaching here is that this list is actually a description it's a description. It's a result of what it looks like when a person who has Jesus in their life lives with other people. When, when Jesus comes in, watch this, this stuff comes out. When Jesus comes in, this stuff comes out. It's, the, it, it's a description of the kind of evidence that you see in a person who's walking with the Spirit. When we start trusting God more, you're going to see this stuff as a result. So the goal is really not so much to try to go be good and patient and kind, and then God says, oh, good job. No, it's, it's about opening up our lives to more of Jesus. And the more we open our hearts and say, 
I need you, Lord. I welcome you, Lord. Send your spirit to guide me. The more that Jesus comes in, the more this stuff comes out. So the goal is not just to try harder to be kind today. As much as it is to say, Jesus, I need more of you in my life. Um, and the more Jesus comes in, the more this stuff comes out. So that's a learning to kind of keep in mind. Let's, let's talk about the list. So, so far, we've talked about several of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We've talked about love, joy. What's next? Peace. Last week, Hillary talked about patience. Now we're looking at what? Kindness. Kindness. The word, <clears throat> I've got to be honest here with you, I think the word kind in English has kind of, it's kind of weak in a lot of people's minds, if we're honest, right? You know, it's, it's sort of like the word nice, which is just a lame-o word, you know? Be nice, be kind. It just sounds kind of lame, like a word you use for kindergartners when they're standing in line for the drinking fountain. You're trying to get them not to shove, so you say, be kind, or something like that. And, but the word kindness in the Bible is actually super rich and robust. It's a, it's a deep, strong word which is actually used to describe the very character of God. And that's the first thing really to note to kind of anchor our, our thoughts on here is that kindness comes from God. Okay, It's going to eventually flow through you and me, but it comes from God. There's a Hebrew word you maybe heard of in the Old Testament, chesed. And it's translated into English in our Bibles with the word kindness, 41 times. But check this out. That same word, chesed, is translated sometimes when they try to figure out the best word in a certain context. 161 other times, it's translated with this word, love, or unfailing love, or kindness or unfailing kindness or loving kindness. You see, it's how it kind of gives us some clues about what this word really means. And it also reminds us like who God is at, at the center. God is this faithful, loving kindness, generous, merciful, gracious one who is kind. Jeremiah says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness and righteousness and justice on the earth. I delight in these things. And you remember, of course, also that the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. And I've been making the case that all the other eight are really just amplifications of love. They're all love. I mean, that holds up when you look at how Paul described love in 1 Corinthians, isn't it? He says love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is an aspect of the love of God. And so what we're looking for is, is more than a head knowledge about this, but encountering that love, that loving kindness, that faithful graciousness of God in our own lives. I was with my friend Brad just the other day, and someone asked him, hey, what does your faith really mean to you? And he started to describe his life before he met Jesus and how far he'd come, and how at one point, one story he told was how his mother got really sick. And in that horrible time in his life, God used that to draw near to him and to help him. And his eyes just became filled with tears as he was talking and just so moved at the kindness of God in his life. And that's the key to our own kindness, is encountering and receiving the kindness of God personally, not just like understanding like intellectually that God might be kind to someone else, but to be able to say, Lord, you've been so, so good to me. All my life, you've been faithful. Thank you, thank you. 
Let me give you a way to anchor this and maybe use this this week. Psalm 103. That's what it's all about. Mark that one down. Psalm 103. It's got the idea of God's kindness all the way through it. Let me just run you through it kind of quick. Psalm 103 says things like this. It says, first of all, I want to praise the Lord with my whole heart. Let everything I have praise the Lord, and I don't want to forget all the good things that He does for me. And then the rest of the psalm, He just lists them. Count your blessings, right? Count the things that God has shown us through His kindness. He forgives my sins. He heals me sometimes. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love. He gives me tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He doesn't get angry with me like I deserve. He's not constantly going to accuse me. He's going to remain angry, not forever, but He's going to get over it and, and come back to me in mercy. Mercy. He doesn't deal harshly with me. His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as high as the heavens is above the earth. He's removed our sins from us like the east is from the west. He's like a father who loves his children tender and compassionately. Uh, he, he let everything and everyone just praise the Lord. See how he just recounted, man, God has been so kind to me. And when you encounter that and it comes to you, it's, it's going to help change you and the way that you encounter people in the world. And in that way, God's kindness isn't a weak, nice thing. It's the most powerful force in the universe. It's at the center of the universe, and it changes the world. The way that God intends to change the world through His kindness is, is when God really, really is in you. I just want to hover there for a second, because I really, I really think some of us struggle to believe and accept the kindness of God for ourselves. I think we understand it maybe as an idea I think we have trouble receiving acts of kindness from other people sometimes, maybe, maybe because we've been hurt really badly. I know some people who are, you know, grew up in homes where there was alcoholism, for example, and they kind of learn not to trust, not to love, not to be vulnerable, not to, you know, just to keep in control and try to survive. Or maybe you were abused or you became a perfectionist for some other reason to, to try to win people's approval, whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe I just think a lot of us struggle because of past hurts, so much so that we, we find it impossible, it seems, to accept the chesed, loving kindness of God. And if you don't really receive God's kindness toward you, you're never going to be able to like flourish like that tree planted by streams of living water with roots that go down and drinking up God's goodness. And You won't let Jesus get close and you won't let God in. Because you don't believe God could forgive you. You don't believe you're worthy. You wouldn't accept that. Do, do, you, do you struggle? Anybody listening to me struggle to accept God's forgiveness, God's kindness for you? Sometimes I think a church or a Christian group in the past you know, convinces some people that God's a big ogre. The God that you grew up with thinking and learning about was a meanie, a vengeful, hateful, spiteful God who gets his jollies watching us miserable people suffer you know, or doesn't care about us. I don't know, this is a hard thing to say, but when I see how unkind some people are, it's almost like a symptom. It's fruit also. And the Bible says that when we've tasted the Lord's kindness, it's going to start changing us to be more kind. Maybe our fruit is forcing us to realize that we just need to open ourselves up. Not to try harder to be kind, but to just open ourselves up to more of Jesus. When Jesus comes in, kindness is going to come out. It follows that if we experience God's kindness, we're going to be change, transform by it, and be kinder to others. So 
when I see myself acting in really unkind ways, as I sometimes do, when my reaction is one of anger or how dare they or I want to get back or they're so stupid, I, I know it's not really about that other person at all and what they did. It's about me and how filled I am with God and His loving kindness. So unkind people just need more Jesus, even if it's me or you. So kindness is not just something that, that is in God. When we're in God, it's in us, and it comes out of us like, like fruit. And, and it is important to realize it is what God wants and expects. Micah says, this is what's good. The Lord requires you to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Jesus and the New Testament echoes this over and over and over again. We're meant to have this radical impact on other people that comes out in kindness. Ephesians says, let all, listen, listen to how kind this is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, what? What's the opposite of all that? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God has shown His kindness to you through the forgiveness of Christ. Colossians says, like a jacket you're going to put on, put on because you're God's chosen people, you're holy, you're beloved, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, wear kindness, along with, you know, some other accessories like humility and meekness and patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit, you guys. Kindness, my friends, is our calling. I want to show you something here about how important kindness really is in our lives and how much God wants it to be in our lives. Do you remember anyone say this when you were a kid? Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, Doctor, lawyer, merchant, chief. Does anyone that rhyme ringing a bell for anybody? When you said that, usually we were counting cherry pits on your plate or petals on a daisy as you're plucking them off or buttons on your shirt. And the one you ended on was, of course, the one you ended up being. You might be rich. You might be dirt poor, standing there with a cardboard sign the rest of your life. You, you, might, you might have a career in organized crime. Well, you know, what in the world were you going to be when you grew up? That's the question, right? It's a big question. That was like the biggest question we had sometimes as a kid. And I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that the reason this stuff's so important is that that is still the question for every one of us. What are you going to be? What am I going to be when we grow up? I'm not talking about changing careers because a lot of us get defensive about this. I've already grown up a little bit. What are you saying? I'm already, we want to talk about whether we're a success. We want to talk about what we do for a living. That's the things we like to talk about. And The Bible pushes us back and asks a different question. It says, you know, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a merchant chief or an ER doc or a teacher or an artist, it doesn't matter. The question is, what are you going to be when you grow up? And 1 Peter 2 says this, put away all malice and guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. That's bad fruit. Just put it away. And like a newborn baby who's just like longing for pure spiritual milk at its mother, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Why? Because you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's why he goes on to say, you're different. you got to be different. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's people. So that you can then turn to the world and declare the wonderful deeds of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light goes on to say that you are a holy nation. You can show God's goodness. What are you going to be when you grow up? 
The Bible says, now listen, this is going to surprise some of you. The Bible says when you grow up, you're going to be holy. Holy. That's what we're going to be if God gets his way with us. It's a wildly unreasonable thing to say because it makes a shambles out of all of our reasonable ambitions to be this or that, all of our career plans. And also because who can be holy? It's not even humanly possible because holiness at the end of the day is Godness. <laughs> and only God makes holiness possible. But being holy is what growing up in the full sense means. Whether you're going to be rich or poor or a beggar or a thief or whatever you're going to do for a living in the long run, who cares? Nothing like that matters as much as whether you grow up. And when you grow up, Bible says you'll be holy, and, and watch this. Catch this now. Holiness is such a crazy word. We don't even know what it means sometimes. While walking around in a robe, singing a chant or something like that. But the Bible says, no, no, no. When you are holy, you will be like God, and that means you'll be kind. You'll be kind. One of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says this. Be kind. Because although kindness is not the same exact thing as holiness, it's awfully close. Friends, if you need help thinking about this, this is not a weak thing. This is an important thing. Kindness is next to holiness, and it's one of the doors that holiness enters the world through. It's one of the doors through which holiness enters us. So, what are you going to be when you grow up? If you grow up, you'll be kind, like God. Because although kindness isn't the same thing as holiness, it's awfully close. Can I just be really clear about something? I'm probably going to offend someone here. Unkindness gets a big pass in our society today. We have television shows where it's like that's the whole point is to watch people being unkind to each other, to blast each other and insult each other, you know, whether it's sports shows or just, just reality TV and the way the acerbic tongue is prized as a talent in our culture and zinging people and frying people is just like really, really popular and trendy. But, but unkindness is really not a virtue you want in your life. And I'll say this, it's not just a personality trait. Well, I'm just kind of that way. Unkindness shouldn't be really excused because you had a bad day or a rough childhood or feel pressured by these circumstances. It's not just the way some people are. It's not justified when someone really ticks you off because they said that thing about Biden or about guns or about the police or about the flag or about your faith or about Jesus or your mama or cats or anything else. Unkindness is, is really not given a pass on any of those things because what the Bible says when it says, who are you becoming and part of your character, it says, when you're unkind, it's immaturity. Because when you grow up, you will be kind. You've tasted the kindness of God, and it'll come through your life. And as long as I am routinely unkind, unthinking of others, caustic, rude, arrogant, mean, it's not a badge of honor, it's not cool, it's not a thing that gets airtime, you know what it is? It's, it's immaturity. And I need to remember that. The next time I want to fire back that nasty email or post what I really think about that stupid thing I saw. Henry James said when he was saying goodbye to his nephew, he said there's three things that are super important in human life. The first is to be kind. And the second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. What kind of world would we have if God's people took 
God's holiness and God's kindness seriously and acted it out as a light in a dark, cold world. Let me tell you about a wordplay that's kind of cool that sometimes is interesting that you don't see right on the surface. The, the word Christ in Greek is Christos. But another word, Christos, means kind. They're only different by one letter. The word Christos means good, thoughtful, benevolent, considerate, and they're, they're one letter different. And that's why it led to some cute confusion by some critics of early Christians. They heard that those Christ followers, those Christos people, but then they thought they were hearing the word Christos, which means, of course, the kind people, because it fit because of the reputation they had for following Jesus' teaching, to love everyone, to be kind and show compassion. And it got me to thinking, I wonder if that mistake could be made today about me or about you, about our church, about Christians on the whole. Like, wouldn't it be something if people heard you were a follower of Christ, a Christos person, a Christian, and immediately thought, oh, you're one of those kind people because of the way you act, because you're so loving and patient and merciful and gentle and thoughtful toward other people and bringing people together. Is that, is that really what we're known for, I wonder? Are we Christos people? Let's move from the learnings uh, and the list to give some really practical ways just to kind of close this out here, to, to really live this out. Super, super practical things. When you think of Einstein's question, how has God, you know, is, has God called us to make the world a more kind place? Um, let's ask this question. Who, who needs more kindness? <laughs> who um, in your universe needs you to be more kind or would benefit from you drinking deeply at at God's kindness and sharing it. Let's talk about some of those places and we'll have some practical things to do this week. Places to aim your kindness. Number one, as we think about how much kindness changes the world, let's first of all realize that we need more kindness in public. We need to show more kindness in public. Um, In our society, we need more kindness with strangers, with people that we cross paths with at the grocery store. Wouldn't you agree? Is anybody disagreeing with me here? As we're driving down the interstate, as we're in the parking lot at Mountain today, on the internet, hello, we need more kindness. We need to hold more doors, carry more groceries, and smile more. We need more kindness in what I would call the public square. We need it in social media. We need it in businesses. We need it at our workplaces. Some environments, the culture is so toxic, it's like almost illegal to be kind. Michael Jr. was here last week, and he pointed us to a scripture I want to share with you again. It's 2 Romans chapter 17, verse 12, which says, don't be a jerk. Okay, I made that up. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. Here's what text 2 Timothy 2 says. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Why? Because a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. That's public. Be patient with difficult people. We need more people who are not going to act like jerks, especially in the name of God. It goes on to say that when you do disagree with people, do it in a gentle way because that's how God advances His agenda and that's how hearts are changed. Be kind to everyone. You know, the old-fashioned word for kindness in the public square is civility. It comes from the same word where we get citizen, and it points to the idea that we got to learn to play well in a civic society with others in the sandbox, how to get along in shared space. Civility is kindness for others because it shows respect 
and behaves in ways that promote, get this, the common good. So that means I don't just think about what I want and what's good for me and I just focus on what I want and vote for what I want and pay money for the things that benefit me. Kindness looks out for others, the common good. So that's why civility is kindness, which means that sometimes we're going to have to get better at accepting that not everyone's going to agree with you on everything. Hello, we're so bad at this anymore. We've got to learn to disagree without being disrespectful or hateful or calling someone stupid. Civility doesn't mean you stay out of tough issues. It doesn't mean you never debate or, or stand up for truth or disagree with people. But it does change how you treat them when you do disagree. It does mean you apply the, the rule of Jesus about being kind. You don't even have to change your position. You just might have to change your tone and your heart toward people. We've got to remember the way we speak to and about people in public reflects whether we are Christos Christos people. I saw a picture that caught my eye in a news article recently. Here's the picture. You see that white state trooper stopped a black man during a traffic stop recently. Uh, he's reaching through the window there with his hand on the arm. It looks like the man in the, in the chair is, is in pain. We all know the unspeakable tension and fear and emotion that goes around a scene like this in our world today. Jarrett Doty of the North Carolina Highway Patrol pulled over a Volvo on Interstate 85. And uh, the person he pulled over was the father, was Ashley Wilkerson. She's 39, and she's a daddy's girl. She was driving her daddy home from chemo treatments, his first one. Her father, Tony, is the love of her life, always supporting and loving her. She was a cheerleader, and he was, he, he was her cheerleader as she was a cheerleader. He was her date um, and her friend, her confidant, but now their roles are reversed and she's supporting him and taking him home to rest. She's got her two kids in the back seat in car seats and her mom back there as well, and they're pulled over. And for many people today, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. So they're tense and um, they try to keep an open mind. She said, I, I didn't want, I don't think it's fair to characterize everyone based on another person's actions. So she said, I just kept my mind open. And her dad on the passenger side had rolled down the window and Officer Doty leaned in. He'd been a trooper for 17 years. When his childhood friend was killed by a drunk driver, he decided he would be a trooper and make a difference. He asked her, do you know how fast you were going? And asked for the license, registration, that kind of thing. She gave him the papers. Her dad was so weak that he could barely move, but he spoke up kind of in defense of his daughter. This is my baby girl, he says. She's driving me home from a chemo treatment at Duke. Dodie nodded and took the papers and went back to his car. And they waited and waited on him. What they didn't know is that Officer Dodie was thinking very deeply in his own car about his own life. He had noticed that the man was weakened from chemo, and he thought about his own 12-year-old daughter, also a cheerleader, just like the driver. But he also shared another connection with that man in the car. He noticed he had a pouch attached to his pelvis area, and Officer Doty himself had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and had to undergo a pretty serious surgery to remove portions of his colon to avoid colon cancer. He had to wear a pouch on his stomach as well. And he remembered how weak it made him and how he couldn't even leave the house. And only by the grace of God, he had recovered from that. And he made a vow in that moment. He said, I, I'm going to remember the, all the people who prayed for me. And if I can, enter, as, a, as a return of God's kindness to me, help any other person with an act of kindness, I will do it anytime, any day. That's the vow he thought of when he sat in his patrol car. He already knew he wasn't going to give her a ticket. But he did think of something else he could do. 
He walked back to, his, to the car and he turned to Mr. Geddes and he said, do you mind if I ask what kind of cancer you have? He says, not at all, I have colon cancer. Doty took a, took a deep breath and he, and he looked at Mr. Geddes and he says, may I pray for you? And Mr. Geddes says, absolutely, I'm a man of faith, I believe in prayer. And in, fact, in fact, he was very involved in his church, a devout Christian man. So there on Interstate 85, became a holy, holy ground, holy place. As Officer Doty reached through the car window and in an act of kindness grabbed Mr. Geddes' hand and prayed. And that's when his daughter snapped that picture. And after he finished praying, Doty said, I just want you to know that you have someone else praying for you on your journey. And instead of a ticket, they drove away with tears in their eyes and gratitude for kindness. When her father died some months later, she posted the story online and Officer Doty saw it and said, it said something, a heartfelt thanks to the officer that prayed with us that day. Well, it went viral and it got back to Officer Doty. He was on CNN and talk shows and he just was always like, I'm no hero. I'm only doing what any follower of Jesus would do. The daughter said one more thing made it special. She learned after the fact that before Officer Doty left, he had pressed into the hand of her father a little gift. It was a memento that she keeps. He kept it on his dresser and now she keeps it. It's a silver metal cross, a reminder of the ultimate connection they had, but also the ultimate symbol of kindness and the reminder for all of us to just show kindness every day. Don't you think the world needs more of that kind of thing? We need more kindness. Let me just give you two or three quick things to latch on to in a real practical way as we close. Not only do we need to show more kindness in public, can I just suggest that we show more kindness with our friends and with our family. First of all, to our friends. You know, Galatians 2 says we can actually carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Friend, everyone you know, every friend you have is carrying a heavy burden. So the kindest thing you could do is help lighten their load. The Bible says you can. Help them know they're not alone. Can you think of a person that you need to help lighten their load this week? Something specific you could do? Here's what challenge specifically for you. Write a note of encouragement this week for the express purpose of lifting a burden. Proverbs talks about how anxiety will weigh a person down, but a good word makes him glad. So your good word can make someone glad and lighten their load. Write that letter, email them, text them, and show kindness in that way. You'll feel great too. How about your family? We need to show more kindness with our families. You can never do too much. Some families fall apart through great big acts of big, some hurtful thing that happens, but many more bleed out as a result of thousand paper cuts of unkindness every day, day in and day out. And we need more acts and words of kindness that support the people that we sometimes take for granted around us. William Wordsworth said, the best portion of a really good life is all those little nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. One of the things that I'm becoming aware of is that one of the most kind things I can do for Carla and the people that I live with is listening. Deep, non-judgmental, non-interrupting, listening builds trust and conveys value, says you're important, and it's an act of kindness. It's one of the just most beautiful kinds of love you can give. I wonder who in your life would have their burden lifted and their heart lifted by you Maybe this week, showing kindness through listening in a 
cruel, harsh, caustic world. Let's create homes that are havens of kindness. Instead of thinking back with regret about, I did it again, I blew my fuse, I was unkind, can we move upstream and alter the pattern, figure out what's triggering us, and instead invite more of Jesus in, because when Jesus comes in, kindness is going to come out. Who in your family will benefit the most from you being kind? Maybe we come up with a kindness plan this week. Here's what I would suggest. Write down what you want to do to show a specific person kindness every day. Write down what you're going to do, then do it, and then write down how they responded, and then write down how you feel about it. You got it? Who are you going to show kindness to? What are you going to do to them? Do it, write how they responded, and then how you feel about it. Repeat the next day. Do that five days, and bam, you will have a different home, a different marriage, a different family. Really beautiful things can happen. Finally, not only do we need to show some more kindness in public and to our friends and family, but friends, I just want to leave you with this thought. Some of us, the most important thing we need to do to receive the kindness of God is to be kind to yourself. Sometimes the reason we're not very kind to others is we just goes back to that inability to accept the kindness and love of God toward us. And when we can't do that, we're not much good for being kind to others because our well is empty. So for some of you, the person you need to be kind to is yourself. You need to forgive yourself like Jesus does. You're so hard on yourself. We have a lot of self-shame and self-hate and self-despising, and, and, and we're just so hard on ourselves. And Jesus says, you know, you've got to love your enemies, even if it's you. So I just want to share a very meaningful song with you right now that's been really helpful to me and our family and our whole staff as we've used it over the years. It's written by a friend, Andrew Peterson. He wrote it for his teenage daughter. But it sounds like the voice of our Heavenly Father speaking over all of us. And it's a good way for us to end our time. Father, help us to receive your kindness and to be kind even to ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name.